Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 075. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, holiday traditions often involve family getting together for a meal. This can certainly be great times, but they can also be times when we come face to face with the reality that somebody is missing, that there is an empty chair at the table. Death and loss have a way of messing with our holiday joy. Where do we go with that? How do we experience joy in the holidays when someone that we love isn't there? Unfortunately, there isn't a way to three steps and you're done to get through this one, but the Bible does give us hope that we can hang on to when it feels like there's nothing else. Check it out. These last couple weeks, we've been getting ready for the family get-together. The holiday, hopefully some kind of celebration, some kind of hangout is on your calendars. Maybe one in four days even, so the time is getting close. And it finally comes. You got people all together, tables all set, food is out on whatever scale you may celebrate with. Everybody gets around the table and you're ready to celebrate. And you look in that one spot and you see the empty chair. The chair that has been left empty by somebody who is not there. Whether through death, whether through estrangement, it hits in some of the deepest places in the gut. A Thanksgiving was the very first time that I ever experienced an empty chair. And I only had three months of experience as a Christian when I had that first Thanksgiving uh, that my dad wasn't there. And it's haunting. And I wish, honestly, that 23 years of experience would somehow take that haunt away or make it, make it easier. And true, there is some level where time and life and experience as a Christian can give you a piece about the new normal. But it does not change the fact that down someplace deep in our gut, when we realize we may very well be walking into this in four days, that if the Bible is going to give us any kind of hope to deal with an empty chair, the Bible better bring its A-game big time. And the good thing is, the Bible does. As Paul is writing to a church in Thessalonica, this church has been facing persecution. And they loved Paul and Silas. Silas was Paul's teammate in this area, and, and they administered to them in person, but the persecution that was going on basically ran Paul and Silas out of town. So not through death, but through these two guys that they love fleeing for their lives, the church lost people that they loved. And as this persecution continues, because it didn't stop just at Paul and Silas, it continues and these people start losing loved ones through death, through execution. And they start asking real deep, honest questions. Because this is a culture, remember, when they talked about Jesus is going to return, they were thinking like next Tuesday. So Jesus's return is, that is always in their heads as they, t- as they think about what now for our loved ones that have passed away. If Jesus is going to come soon, maybe next Tuesday, what about them? What happens? Well, Paul from a distance tries to give these people some hope. And by extension, in the same way, tries to give us some hope. And the good thing is, he really does bring his A-game. So you see, opening up, this is one of those that works out so nice, just the way you go verse by verse by verse and see the hope in it. 
But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, after he's described again this situation, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Now me just trying to even say that shows sort of the verbal gymnastics that Paul is going through as he says this sentence. And I looked it up in some other translations thinking, is there another version that's just going to say it more clearly? And unfortunately not. But hear this, Paul isn't saying, don't grieve. Honestly, that would be a bad thing. I know this from experience. And if you get to Thursday or you get to Christmas and there is an empty chair at the table, I hope that at some point you have grieved that. Because the alternative, not grieving, goes down a very dark road very fast. And I do not know that because it's in my head. I know it because it's in my story. Paul doesn't say don't grieve. He says don't grieve like those who have no hope. Don't grieve like the hopeless. I have had the chance to stand up here for a number of funerals. And when I have done funerals for people that I have known, it's hard. But not knowing another word to put it to, put to it, there is something that is good about it too because we are celebrating lives well-lived. We are celebrating in the hope that we, that we know where their faith puts them, for people that I have known. The most difficult funerals to do are the ones when the funeral director calls me up maybe a day or two beforehand, and he says, you know what? I've got a family. They have no church. They have no pastor. They basically need a warm body up front saying the right words. Those are the heartbreaking ones. Because those are the ones that, at least at first glance, those are the people who mourn with no hope. I, I like to hope that I am wrong when I, when I say that, but at first glance, it's kind of like, here's the situation laid out in about two seconds. Oh, what do I offer them? But as Christians, that's not our situation. We do have hope. In what? Paul continues. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. Now, I want you to catch both parts of what is said here. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, here is the game changer fact. Death is not the end. How do I know this? Again, it's not something that I'm just coming up with willy-nilly out of my head or, you know, something I looked up on the internet. It's something I can look up in this book. In Romans 8, 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Hear what Paul says, because Paul's writing this letter to, the Rome, to another church in Rome. Hear how Paul describes the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. The Bible does not waste words. And so when, a Bible, when the Bible describes somebody in a certain way, as, for instance, he who raised somebody from the dead twice in one sentence, there's something to that. See, God is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. Sure, we think of it now in a spiritual sense, 
you know, God spiritually bringing somebody back uh, from death into life through the forgiveness of sins. But there will be a day, maybe next Tuesday, maybe way down the road, maybe after our time, when God's market share is going to expand. And it's going to be not just bringing dead things back to life in a spiritual sense, but bringing dead things back to life in a physical sense as well. And if you are skeptical of that, if you think I am standing up here waxing poetic or just trying to throw out some some platitudes just so that you have something kind of nice to smile about on Thursday, if so, that's okay. I, I don't take offense to that, but God's business plan is not based on me having something to say. What is it based on? The letter continues. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. This we declare. This we stand on. This we plant our flag by. By what? The word of the Lord. We don't hang our hope on the writings of some dead theologian or the speech of some punk pastor. We base our hope, we, we stake our claim on God's word. The word that has been attacked for generations and millennia and nobody and nothing has been able to beat it. That is what we hang our hope on. And sometimes, I, I think I said last week, there are some times when I find the... I find a place to expound on the word, to explain the word, to sort of take it a little bit further. There are some places, you know what, the word just does all the heavy lifting all by itself. One of those places. We don't rely on what I say or what some writing says. We rely on what God says. And he keeps going. He hasn't stopped there. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with him to meet the Lord in the air so that we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's when we get to experience heaven. Not just as a spiritual reality, as sort of this ethereal place out there that exists with God, and we know it's there, but Paul's starting to talk about when we get to experience it as a physical reality. A physical reality that does not have tears, that does not have mourning that does not have shame or cancer or illness or sickness or death. That's not me waxing poetic. That's John talking in the book of Revelation. Knowing that is there is the start of our hope. Now, how can I take this and encourage us with it today? Because that really is my hope, is to give you something that's going to get you through. If you have not, I mean, let me preface this to say, if you go to Thanksgiving or you go to Christmas and there's not an empty chair, thank God. But if there is, I get that the first one happens in four days. So while thoughts of heaven and the dead being raised and all that sort of stuff may help out for down the road, what do we do in four days? Well, I'm not going to try and three-step you through this as though I can you know, miraculously fix this all, take all of that kind of pain away. But sometimes when you have a big wall in front of you, let's say you've got a big 10-foot brick wall and it's just this massive thing right there in your face, sometimes it helps to have a periscope. If you can't have a ladder, at least a periscope is nice. For this reason, 
It may not get you over the wall. It may not get you through the wall. It may not change the fact that there is a wall in front of you, and it's massive, and it dwarfs you, and it proverbially gut punches you at the dinner table. But having a periscope at least reminds you that the wall is not all that there is. To bring this back into this theme, it reminds us that death is not all that there is. That death is not the end. So I am going to tip my hat to Pastor Jay up in Sodus, uh, one of the pastors that I got to visit while I was on sabbatical. He did one of the best of all that I heard over sabbatical. What does heaven have to do with my life right now? A lot of these ideas that I'm going to share are come from him, so I want to definitely tip my hat to him on this one. But here's the first way we can use a periscope. Here's the way that we can sort of remind ourselves by focusing on heaven that death is not the end, that death is not all that there is. Because when we focus on heaven, it gives us the right perspective on death. As Paul says later on in the very letter that we're reading here in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. See, Jesus faced death, beat death, so that it would not be the end for us. So that it would be, unfortunately, our bodies sort of do have an expiration date, whether we, want, whether we like it or not. But when that date comes, it's not the end of the story. We'll get into that in a little bit. But there's a quote from a Reformed theologian. I know we said we don't hang our hope on what a dead theologian says, uh, R.C. Sproul happened to pass away two or three years ago, but this is still a good truth to hang on to. Sproul says, the day of one's birth is a good day for the believer. We celebrate those kinds of things. But the day of death is the greatest day because that is the day they go home. The day they walk across the threshold, the day they enter the Father's house. There actually is something to celebrate on that occasion, as, as sad as it is, as gut punch as it is. There's something to celebrate. There's something, if nothing else, to, ho- to hang our hope on. But that's not it. Focusing on heaven also gives us the right perspective on suffering. As Paul says, Paul was probably the, one of the most prolific writers in the New Testament, so he's constantly writing these letters, all that carry this kind of hope. And when he's writing to the Corinthians, he says, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look at not at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Now, Paul was a bold guy, and reading this passage almost thinks he sort of crosses that line from bold into a little bit stupid, because I know that if Paul were right here, there's a whole lot of people that would say, you better know where that emergency exit is. Light troubles, Paul? Momentary troubles? That empty chair has been haunting my every waking moment for years, and you're going to call it light? You better get yourself some sensitivity training, Paul, or I will show you a light and momentary trouble. I can imagine probably at least a dozen of us that might want to throw down with Paul, calling the things we deal with 
the pain that comes with losing a loved one, calling it light and momentary. But listen to what Paul says. We don't focus on what is seen, we focus on what is unseen. So I'm going to illustrate this. Have a circle. And I have to scale this illustration a little bit because it would be impossible for me to, you know, take a string all the way from here to L.A. But imagine that that arrow is going on to L.A. and beyond, okay? Here is our present physical reality, okay? And here is eternity. Now, I said uh, earlier on in this series that really we can only focus on one thing at a time. And whatever it is that we focus on, it gets bigger in our mind, right? If you focus on that wall that's in front of you, it's going to get real big. It will consume you. Well, if we look and have our focus just on this dot, yeah, it's going to get to be a big deal. It's going to get maybe even to the point where it does consume us, to where that dot is haunting our every waking moment. But if we see that dot in light of eternity, you know what, that dot looks pretty tiny, doesn't it? If you look just at that dot and that was all you focused on, you like had tunnel vision on it, it would be all you could see. But when you look at it and experience it, and it doesn't change the fact that there's a dot there. And maybe even the fact that that's a tough honking dot to deal with. But when you see that in light of this whole room, even, all of a sudden it's not quite the monster that it was before. You know, a brick can feel awfully heavy compared to a feather. But a brick side by side with a semi-trailer, well, all of a sudden, it, I kind of prefer the brick. As I said, have, to kind of take my other analogy here, having a periscope does not change the fact that there is a wall in front of you, but it reminds you that the wall is not all that there is, that death is not the end of the story. Paul, in one of his other letters, continues, and he reminds us that focusing on heaven, focusing on the arrow, not on the dot, reminds us that this isn't our permanent home. As he says when he's writing to the Philippians, just as a, a point of reminder, this is often known as the book of joy. He says to the Philippians, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in this world, this isn't the final place. We have a temporary visa for planet Earth. Our final citizenship is in heaven, is in the arrow, is in eternity. Or as one person put it, and they put it so well, I think, the best of the story is the rest of the story. You know, when we, when we talk about at a funeral or a memorial or whatever, when we talk about a person going home or being called home, we often use that sort of phrase. It's, it can sound trite if you don't really think about what's behind it, but it's not meant as just a platitude. It is a hope-filled reality that, as the R.C. Sproul quote said, the greatest day for a Christian is when they die because that is the day that they go home. That is the day where they trade in their temporary visa for permanent citizenship in the place where, where the Savior lives. We're, you know, we're expecting a Savior to come from that place, that home. It is a statement that reminds us that the best of the story is the rest of the story. So this week, 
again, hopefully you've got somebody to get together with over Thanksgiving. Be it family, be it friends, just anything other than alone. If that empty chair is a part of your story, acknowledge it. Recognize it. Because though a chair, an empty chair can be a small object, it can hold an awfully big elephant in a room. So celebrate. I mean, if, if there is a loved one who has passed away, if, if they are a loved one, there is something to celebrate about their life. We certainly hope. Tell stories. Norm Waterman, when we are working on a funeral together, he'll often say, he'll come up here after the service, and as we're usually getting ready to send people upstairs for lunch and whatnot, he says, tell stories. Laugh. Celebrate those good times. Hang on to those. It may bring tears. I get that. I may have some of them myself, but <laughs> understandably, because you know, as I said, Thanksgiving was, the, was my first empty chair holiday. But doing so can bring healing and it can bring hope. Hope in this reminder that the best of the story is the rest of the story. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week in the Woodlane Worship Podcast.